This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association, and welcome to Common Threads. You know, one of the things you may not know about me is that uh, I'm an actor. Anything from commercials, industrial videos, to the local theater. I do keep busy. And a couple of years back, I performed in a play for our local Jewish theater entitled Anne Frank and Me. This is not to be confused with the classic play The Diary of Anne Frank but they do share similar themes. Now, in the play, I portrayed a Jewish resistance fighter in France who, at one point, is hidden in the attic along with his family. Later on, I, in the character, am transported via train to Auschwitz, and I can still recall how this all affected me, to be shoved from here to there by actors dressed as Nazis, yelling, Schnell, Schnell. I never forgot that I was in a play, but on one level... I wanted myself to feel at least a little of the terror that so many families felt in those awful times. Well, today on Common Threads, we're going to talk about the horror that was then and the heroism of those who did not stand idly or fearfully by and watch humanity sink into hell. With me in the studio is one of those heroes. I would like to introduce Diet Amon a Grand Rapids resident who received resident rather who received the Righteous Among the Nations Award from the State of Israel for her clandestine activities in war-torn Holland. And by the way, she is going to be speaking on her experiences and her faith as part of local activities commemorating Women's History Month, which is in March. The Greater Grand Rapids Women's History Council has organized the activities under the title Legacy 2000, which celebrates women's achievements during Women's History Month. And Deet will speak at 7 o'clock on Wednesday, March 15th at the YWCA, the Center for Women. And the address will be entitled Dutch Resistance, One Woman's Holocaust Experience. It's free and open to the public, and parking is also free. And let me tell you um, a little bit about, uh, about Deet. She was arrested and spent time in a concentration camp as a result of her activities. Today she volunteers for the Red Cross Disaster Services and she's worked, for migrant, worked with migrant workers in California after large earthquakes and has also been sent to Guam, Puerto Rico after hurricanes. She also volunteers with the Christian Medical and Dental Society, the Christian Reformed World Relief Committee, and with a group of physicians from the University of Cincinnati, Ohio, working as a translator in Honduras, Guatemala, Ecuador, Ecuador Belize, and Mexico. Also with me in the studio today is Karen Melman, and Karen is currently the president of the Grand Rapids chapter of Hadassah. She served as president in other communities before moving to Michigan. She's also a volunteer with Child and Family Resource Council in their Healthy Start program and their Shaken Baby Syndrome program. She's a member of the Shir Shalom Choir. Before becoming Hadassah president, she was the Kent County Coordinator for Attitudes, a disability program for first and second grade students. So essentially, uh, I'm outnumbered by a couple of overachievers <laughs> that are uh, making my life look pretty useless, but uh, we're <laughs> I stand in the shadow of greatness here, and I'm honored to have both of you women here. Good, uh, good morning, Dee. 
Good morning. And, and you shouldn't feel that way. Good morning, friends. <laughs> everybody has his place. No, everybody has his place. Yes, I agree. Everyone does have a place. And apparently right now, uh, ours is uh, sitting in front of microphones and talking about your experiences and your upcoming lecture. And we'll also talk a little bit about Hadassah. Hadassah is, uh, is sponsoring her lecture, correct? Yes, we are, Fred. Um, Deet had spoken to our Hadassah board a couple of years ago, and we were very impressed by her message. We felt it was something that a larger audience should hear. And this is the first time that Hadassah will be bar participating in Women's History Month. So when we had the opportunity to participate in Women's History Month, and of course um, it it celebrates women's achievements, we just felt that Deet would be the perfect person to come back and speak um, for the program. Um, so Hadassah is very happy to be sponsoring this special program. Yes, it, uh, it, I would imagine it's going to be a very moving evening. Well, I, I want to say one thing. I hate the word hero because really in the Netherlands I wouldn't even dare to tell my story because I'm really proud. So many people did that work and were hiding Jewish people and they did so much. So. It's just, we considered it just, let's say, normal. I mean, I was dis very disappointed after the war that I found out that there were people who had not done things. So it's nothing heroic. I wouldn't dare to tell my story in the Netherlands. They would shrug their shoulder and say, so what? We did the same or we did more. Well, let's find out a little bit about the motivation and the actions that uh, you took during World War II. Now, you've said that it was your Christianity that led you to help, is that correct? I mean, that you were yeah. often motivated by your, your faith? faith system. That's right. I think faith without, in words, don't mean anything. You have to prove what you stand for. Absolutely. And I, in my first job, I was sitting right next to a wonderful guy. His name was Herman, and he was Jewish. And my family loved music, and Herman played beautiful violin, and my brother plays beautiful cello, and we had an organ and a piano, and Herman often came. And then when the misery started, Herman was in trouble. And he's a friend. You have to help. There's nothing heroic. But now, you say that it was your Christianity that motivated you, but weren't the people who were causing the problems in Germany and Austria and Holland, they were also, many of them, were at least nominally Christians as well. What was the difference between your version of Christianity and the version of Christianity that was practiced by people who were Nazis? You know, I'm really happy you asked that because so many Jewish people ask me that. And to me, a Christian is a person who steps, who follows in Jesus' footsteps. And he was love. And I know we are taught that in heaven there is no sadness, but I think that the people who under the name of Christians did the pogroms and the the the, the, the Russian Orthodox Church and the Crusades, what was all done in the name of Christ. And Hitler, because he was born in Austria, the Jewish people automatically say, oh, Austria is a Catholic country, he's a Catholic, he's a Christian. That are not Christians. I mean, a Christian, you have to live it, and it has to be a, a life thing, and then you have to do... And I know that if if there would be sadness in heaven, I think that Jesus would cry what is done here on earth in his name. Uh, were you were you supported by your denomination? First of all, uh, they didn't were you know it. We we never told about it. But I know one thing: the government after the war 
like you have your department of the State Department, Agriculture. Uh, after the war, our government ins made a new department, War Documentation. And I had to be a witness in some cases. And they called me, and I got to be friends with the second highest there. And he needed my information, and I could give him some. And he knew after years everything about the war, about every underground group. And he said, Diet, and I'm Christian Reformed, and I hate to say sometimes here they're very narrow-minded. I think it's getting better, and I was disappointed when I came here. But in the Netherlands, that was a small denomination, but they were the most faithful, and they were the highest percentage of resistance, and that men asked me, and who were the second highest? And I would thought maybe the Catholics or the Reformed, that's a little bit looser. The communists were the second ones. I was so surprised. But then that cleared up. When I was arrested, I went first to a prison. I was really in a small cell with five people. We were crowded. It was three meter long, two meter wide. I was there for over a month. But when I was arrested, and I gave false names and everything false, and he said, your religion? And I said, Christian reform. And he said, very this disdain. And I don't know if you know German, he said, schon wieder eine von diese. And that means, again, one of those. And he said it, that it was a sneer. And to me, I said, little prayer, thank you, Father. That means at least that we are faithful to our faith. So I'm proud of that there. But you're saying that you didn't get official support from the Christian Reformed Church. No. In, in there, mm. there wasn't anything organized through the church. It was purely no, individuals it was who happened to be Christian Reformed. Yeah, it was. But you couldn't. It was too dangerous. My best friends who went to church with me every Sunday, they turned out to be Nazi. You, you, you here in America, you don't know how lucky you are. You have never lived under a pressure that you don't know who you can trust. Your best friend can be can be pro-Nazi. You didn't know it anymore. And everywhere was the secret police, the Gestapo. And they were dressed in normal clothing or in uniform. But you have to watch every word what you said and to whom you said it, because you could end up for listening to the BBC, half a year prison. It was crazy. It was absolutely a crazy time that here people have no idea about. And the fear. I mean, I can't, I can't ever tell the fear that there was always. Well, you when you played that, you got it, even when you weren't there, but it oh, yeah. infiltrates you. Oh, it's very powerful. Absolutely it is powerful. so. So you never heard a message from the pulpit. Oh, yeah. Oh, you did. Oh, that was beautiful, because the Old Testament is full of, you know, the Torah is full of things what God would do to people. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the pastor hidden we got the most beautiful messages but it was not official but we got it i mean that was really great i mean the the sermons were all good and the churches every denomination you could you had to go earlier later when the men all had to go for forced labor then uh some men came to church and then all of a sudden if the gestapo came i've been in villages where i went while i was in hiding and there were a lot of young men, but they were supposed to go for forced labor, but they didn't go. They were all, and then all of a sudden, a man slipped up, whispered something in the pastor's ear, and then the pastor said, all the men between 16 and 60 disappear, and then later the Gestapo came. Colleges were surrounded. It was totally a paralyzed country. You said that in the pews, you could have a pro-Nazi sitting right next to you. Oh, yeah. A, a Dutch 
pro-Nazi. What, what would be in it for someone from the Netherlands to support the Nazis? Here they've, they've come in and taken over your country. Why would, why you know, would somebody be pro-Nazi? In every country you have that the people who think of material gain. Because, let's face it, my father had a big interior, de uh, interior decorating business, and those girls who turned Nazi, their father too. He got stuff, he got material, my father couldn't get anything. And let's face it, if it's a time of scarceness that there's no food anymore, <laughs> you don't buy a new couch, you don't have your walls new wallpapered and so, so that was a hard time. But there was nothing anymore, but the ones who were poor Nazi could still get some stuff. Tell us a little bit about your activities. Just exactly what did you do? Well, we started, my fiancé, Hein, who was killed in Dachau, his father was the principal of a Christian school out in the country, like here, let's say, Bayern Center, or maybe even farther. And when Herman was in danger, and my fiancé had read a book that Hitler wrote, Mein Kampf, and it's full of hatred. And we had next door experienced the Kristallnacht, that you know was mm -hmm. November 38. And after that Kristallnacht, thousands of German Jewish people came to the Netherlands thinking that they were safe. Because in the Reformation, the French Huguenots who were persecuted by the Inquisition came to the Netherlands. And whoever is persecuted can come and live on our borders. And so they came. But... Um, so we knew the danger, and when Herman's family, and I never forget that day, he wasn't allowed to visit non-Jewish people anymore, and we said, the heck with Hitler, you come. He said, I can't, I'm, I'm bringing you in danger, but I'm in danger too. They had to wear the star, they had their IDs visit Jay, I have one here. Anyway, uh, it was so dangerous. But when he got that notice, and you know what that notice said? I mean, it's, uh, if you think it, Herman's father was a Dutch-born citizen, had a right to live there. His grandparents, the whole family, he had a government job. He had a right, he had a right to. And here comes this power that has no right to be in our country. And they got a note home that in that day you have to report, and always in the curfew hours between 11 and 5 or 6 the next morning, always to a big parking lot or near a railroad station, and all they were allowed to take, and this is it, a little suitcase with a change of clothing, a fork, a knife, a, a cup, and a spoon, and a blanket. And to leave everything behind. Now, if you think about it, I mean, we had a family dog, like one. I mean, they had to leave everything for parents and for mothers who have sentimental values. I mean, it is such, I always tell the school kids, you read, they were deported. I mean, just think a moment what that is. I said that some idiot declares that whole Washington state is evil and that you all have to go, I had to speak there. I mean, it's so terrible. And when that happened, we felt we had to help. I mean, that is putting your faith in action. And how did you help? No, Heinz's father was principal there, and Heinz said, I've read that book, don't go, he shouldn't go. I said, what can we do? He said, you know what? He said, if I ask any of those farmers, and this is a, we have sections in the Netherlands that are very Christian, and some are Protestant, some are Catholic, and this was the section where Heinz's father lived, and he hopped on, he said, tell Herman if he wants, I'll ask any of the farmers if he may be there. So the next day I saw Herman, and Herman said, yes, please, he said, but please, my sister Rosa and my fiancé Ada, and Ada's mother is a widow. And so it, within two weeks we had about 60 Jewish people all asked, and we found places for everybody. So there was nothing heroic, we just brought them there. 
But then what happened was there were ration cards. There was no food in the Netherlands anymore. And you only got an, uh, your ration card if you showed your ID. I have here one here. And on this page, all the Jewish people had a J. And so when Herman and his whole family and everybody went in hiding, the males had to go to Germany for forced labor. So the moment that they went in hiding, you only got your rations, and we needed it. It was maybe it was meant to last a month. It was this big, but it was maybe enough for 12, 10, 12 days, especially growing up guys. And so, but you didn't get ration cards if you didn't show your ID. So when it was forced labor that all the males between 16 and 60 had to go to Germany, they didn't get ration cards anymore. So then, and the farmers got scared because the Jewish people had a J, and some, not of our group, thank God, but they were arrested that somebody betrayed them. And the punishment for helping Jews was, you will be treated as a Jew. So then those farmers had to go, those farmers had to go to Germany with their whole family and leave their farmers confiscated. So then all the farmers, and by that time we had probably 80 Jewish people all over, and they said, can you please find IDs without a J? Because if, we, uh, if there ever is an inspection of our house and they find a J, we are in. And then we had to find many places for males. And we couldn't just go to the farms anymore, where there's always more food. We had to go villages and cities. And those people ran a risk by hiding a person who had to go, of course. But they were willing to, but they said, we can't even take it, because if they don't have ration cards, we don't have enough for our own family. So then we, <laughs> we got together. We were a small group and all Christians. And then what you do when you're in deep trouble, you pray. And after prayer, it became real clear to us that the only way to get every month again, and it went on for two and a half years, to get hundreds of ration cards and to get over 80 of those, we had to do robberies on the German offices. And for that was the death penalty. And there was no other way out. And there were a few very brave young guys, and they said, it has to be done. And <laughs> every month we found a little place, let's say I mentioned Bayern Center, but we took a little village or what village, whatever, where we had a friend who could make a drawing of the building where the carts were brought. And we, the robbery had to be done when they were brought in for the whole population and before they were actually distributed. So then uh, they always first went on their knees and prayed to God for protection. And then after prayer, they did an armed robbery. <laughs> I, th I think it's kind of funny because now there are so many armed robberies, but I bet you not when it's done after first prayer. No, I think uh, <laughs> there's a special dispensation for that kind of yeah, armed robbery. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and only once, see, that's how I feel that was God's very special protection because this went on and there was the death penalty on that. And we also had to have revolvers, and England had dropped weapons, and if you had a weapon, was the death penalty. So that were already two things. And in the meantime, America had joined, thank God, and they were sometimes shot down over our country. And there came those young guys, 19, 20, 21 years, who came far away from far away. They could have stayed behind the Atlantic, and they came to liberate us. So when they were shot down, then we helped them if they could cut their parachutes and hide, and the farmers would tell us there and there's a pilot. And then we would give them cards, because everybody had to have IDs, and then we could give them an ID. But on this page, where the Jews had a J, and if you had a big scar or something special, it was on this page. 
And those guys could be stopped. They were young guys. They were supposed then to go to Germany and work. So then if they were shot down and we gave them first regular clothing and we hid them and we could get them back via the Netherlands, Belgium, France, over the Pyrenees to Portugal, and then there they would pick them by a uh, submarine or a plane. But on this page, for them, we always put deaf and dumb that if they were stopped, <laughs> that they couldn't speak, you know. So, yeah, they could be stopped. So it, you had to think of everything. No, it was a very uh, tense time, I can tell you that. But it worked, and then this went, only once was there shooting, and we had already the loot, and we were outside. So the girls went were outside, because our men also, when they did those robberies, and they came outside, and they had hundreds of cards, and we helped other groups, they could be stopped and searched. So they gave it always right away to the girls that we had the dangerous stuff. And then after the first robbery, we could give all our Jewish people uh, new things, and of course the name Cohen, you better don't put on this, and so on. And so uh, we gave them all, but there were two groups, really three, who did not have to go for forced labor, and that was from the Catholic Church, the priests, and from the Protestant Church, the pastors, and if you were suffering from tuberculosis. And then after the first robbery, all our guys took new cards too, because they had to travel, and they could be stopped. So they were all pastors. I worked with a very <laughs> religious group, <laughs> so it was really a strange time. Now, I know that you lost your fiancé, Hein. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I, well, what you, what you ask me, I'll answer. So he was captured? He was um, one of our two leaders, and he was a wonderful guy. Have you ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who no. was shot? Well, he wrote a book. He was, he was just, uh, you know, it is so amazing. I have here a picture of somebody with a good computer enlarged. It. And it's, this is Hein, and... Uh, he just lived for other people, and it was all so normal to him. And he was brought first. He was picked. He was picked up. Um, he was picked up by a train control for his age because he was over six feet and very blonde. And he was stopped. And then they saw that he was a pastor, so that was okay. But then they searched him, and we had to distribute every month the food, so they found all that stuff on him. They was put in a prison, and he was in so many camps and things, and then I have here one thing that is the most precious, because we had, when we were in prison, you, it was terrible, and I don't have to tell you about that, and the camps. But when he was brought to Germany, the Red Cross gave us once a month a little package, and there was some toilet paper in that, and because the, in the camps you didn't get anything. And on, just before he crossed into Germany, he threw this out of the train, out of the train, and this was found. And if you think how much rain and dew, and there were no men anymore, so the grass that grows that's not cut, and this was found. This is to me such a miracle of God. And you know what? This is the the letter that he wrote on very thin paper, and it did not rain, and it reached my family, and I. This is it. And this is his handwriting. This is not original, it's a very good imitation. And he faced that. He said, I don't think we'll see each other on earth again. And that he loved me the most in the world. But that even if we wouldn't see each other here on earth again, we would surely see each other in heaven. 
and that we would never, never be sorry for what we did. So even in the face of death, because I, at one point I was thinking, if he doesn't come back, and we had our wedding papers, I had my wedding dress, and I think if he had known it 100% sure that he wouldn't come back, would he still have done it? And my heart said yes. And then I'm so grateful I have it here, black on white. That is quite a miracle that you, Isn't that it? you have that, absolutely. And you were in prison yourself. <clears throat> I mean, you were released. I played so stupid. Mm. I would say that wasn't <laughs> difficult. <laughs> and I'm fluent in German, and I pretended for months that I did. Every time when they asked me something, I shrugged my shoulder, and you had to stand up, always very military. So I was very young, and I didn't want them. The Dutch are very stubborn. Maybe you've heard that. <laughs> and so I was a Dutch stubborn. So if you had to stand straight, I stood like that. And then they yelled at me. Stand straight. I don't know what you're saying. I've, can you speak Dutch? <laughs> <laughs> I was fluent in. So then, in the end, they uh, they thought that I was. Let's say I think that they thought I was a border case. And when the whole camp was emptied, I did so stupid. But I used my stupidity for a lot of information because I knew exactly what were the spies among us and so on. Because they planted spies in the barrel. Mm. Uh, before we end the program, I want to talk to Karen a little bit. Karen, you are now president of Hadassah here in Grand Rapids. Tell us a little bit about what Hadassah does and your relationship with, uh, with Deet. Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, I have to say, just in response to what Deet has said, um, we in Hadassah all feel that she has a very important story to tell, and even though she doesn't think she's a heroine, um, her story is something that must be told because it's the kind of thing that has to continue to be told. And so many of the people who lived through the war <clears throat> were losing that generation. So Deet's story is very important. Um, there are still people today who say that the Holocaust did not happen. And Deet has a very truthful story about her experience, which proves that the Holocaust did happen. So it's a very important story to hear. Um, and we in Hadassah just think that she has something that all of the community will find interesting, whether they're a part of the Jewish community, the Dutch community, the Christian community, it, it doesn't matter. Her story is universal. So we invite anyone to attend. Um, and actually, Hadassah here in Grand Rapids is a group of about 400 women. Um, and we support facilities in Israel. We have a couple of large medical facilities, medical hospitals. Um, we also support education. Um, we have a community college, and but here locally we are involved as well in um, community service projects. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about Hadassah next week. I'm going to ask you both to be here for next week. We will continue this conversation. I would like to thank both of my guests, uh, Diet Amen and Karen Melman, and we will be back next week here on WGVU. Thank you for joining us. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org 
Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella. Welcome to Common Threads. With me in the studio are two rather remarkable women I'd like to tell you about them. Diet Emmen was born in 1920 in The Hague in the Netherlands, and when World War II broke out, she and her fiancé, Hein Sietzma, motivated and strengthened by their deep Christian faith, joined the Dutch resistance. Working underground, finding hiding places for Jews while living on false documents, they risked their own lives on a daily basis. The Gestapo was after them all the time. This heroic work would cost Diet her freedom. She was sent to prison and later to a concentration camp, and Hein his life. Diet's extremely difficult time as a prisoner did not cause her to withdraw from her mission. Shortly after she was freed from the concentration camp, she continued her noble work until Holland was liberated. These courageous efforts ultimately saved the lives of hundreds of Dutch Jews. After the war, Diet studied nursing and worked as a head nurse in the Shell Oil Refinery Hospital in Venezuela. She also served as an export manager for Werner Lehar International in Grand Rapids, where she resides today. Now retired, she remains an active volunteer for the Red Cross Disaster Services and the Red Cross Language Bank, spending time doing relief work in impoverished countries. She also volunteers with the Christian Medical and Dental Society, the Christian Reformed Relief Committee, and with a group of physicians from the University of Cincinnati, working as their translator in Honduras, Guatemala, Ecuador, Belize, and Mexico. In 1994, Ms. Emin published her unforgettable story in the book, Things We Couldn't Say, which was later produced as a play. Recently, Ms. Emin was awarded the title of Righteous Among the Nations by the Israeli Holocaust Martyrs and Heroes Remembrance Authority. And she is going to be speaking under the auspices of Hadassah on Wednesday, March 15th at 7 o'clock at the YWCA, which is located on Sheldon downtown. Also with me in the studio is Karen Melman. She is uh, currently president of the Grand Rapids chapter of Hadassah, and she is a volunteer with Child and Family Resource Council in their Healthy Start program and their Shaken Baby Syndrome program. She's a member of the Shir Shalom Choir, and before becoming Hadassah president, she was uh, the Kent County Coordinator for Attitudes, a disability program for first and second grade students. So as I say, two remarkable women here were continuing our conversation that we started last week about Deet's experiences during the war and uh, what brings her here uh, next month, I should say, in March to talk about these uh, extremely moving experiences. Uh, Deet, welcome to the program. Thank you. And Karen, thank you for coming back. Thank you. We were in the process before we left last week. We were talking about Hadassah, and I would like to continue that conversation. Tell us about the mission of Hadassah, and what does Hadassah mean in Hebrew? Hadassah means Esther in Hebrew, 
And essentially the mission is um, to provide women with a community of women who have common causes. Um, we have educational initiatives to strengthen Jewish, our Jewish commitment. Um, we have connections with Israel and our Jewish heritage through Hadassah. And we have opportunities to support um, institutions in Israel and also to continue our youth work here in the United States. Um, some of the institutions in Israel that we support are two hospitals that I believe I mentioned last week. We also have five schools. We have outpatient clinics. We have research facilities. Both of our hospitals are teaching and research hospitals. And, um, you know, a lot of research developments have come out of the Hadassah hospitals. Very often people have heard about Hadassah that way. Um, we also have a community health center. So, uh, and all of these are in Jerusalem itself. Um, but here in this country, we are also involved in a number of activities. Um, we have youth camps that we support. Um, right here in Grand Rapids, our membership of 400, as I believe I had mentioned before, is involved in community service projects as well. Um, you mentioned that I volunteer for Child and Family Resource Council. Well, Hadassah does this as a project, as a matter of fact, um, and I am just one of the volunteers that works for Child and Family Resource Council through Hadassah. And um, their emphasis is healthy children and healthy families. So we volunteer in a program called Healthy Start. And when a new mother in Kent County has a baby, she is given the option of having phone calls made to her through Healthy Start. So our volunteers make phone calls um, to these new mothers. And it's a support system. Um, there's just a friendly, listening person on the other end of the line. For these new mothers, sometimes it's very difficult um, to know what to do. and. You don't always have support from your family. Maybe they don't live nearby. So we're there as a listening ear and also as a support system and a referral system. There are a lot of resources in the community that people can go to for help. So we're there to let these young mothers know about this. Um, I also, You also mentioned that I um, volunteer with the shaken baby syndrome. This is something, this is a fairly new program with the Child and Family Resource Council. And we are trying to get the word out about shaken baby syndrome. Um, we're hearing a lot more about it in the newspaper. We don't know that it's really become more prevalent or if we're just hearing more about it. But we feel that people need to know what it is and how to prevent it. So there's a speaker's bureau, and we go out and talk about um, shaken baby syndrome. So those are some of the areas that we're involved here in the community. Um, our Hadassah members. Is it cross-denominational, Orthodox, Reform, Conservative? Yes, it certainly is. Hadassah, in fact, we have a number of members who are not Jewish as well. Um, really? It crosses, yes, it oh. crosses all um, denominations in, um, you know, the Jewish religion. So um, we're very proud of the fact that um, we have a great assortment of members in Hadassah. But you're saying beyond Judaism, you're saying a Christian, a, a Muslim could be a member we, of Hadassah? We actually have some, yes, non-Jews that are members of Hadassah, right. Mm -hmm. In fact, we had, when you mentioned Muslims, we just, one of our programs this year, um, and one of the things that Hadassah does on a regular basis is provide programming for our members. Um, one of our programs in the fall was an interfaith dialogue. 
um, we had a Christian, a Muslim, and a Jew on the panel. And I it was, was at a that. very oh yes, yeah. okay, yes. It was a very interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a wonderful That's evening. Me. And it was, it was great for us to learn a little bit more about one another. We think that that's very important, um, to learn and understand one another a bit better, so that the kinds of things maybe that happened during the Holocaust won't happen again. I think through understanding comes um, love and peace and, you know, the things that we're all hoping for, certainly. Appreciation of each other. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. To move beyond, uh, tolerance is good, but acceptance is better. And that's certainly one of the missions of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, two of the three members have very strong connections. Two of the three members of that panel had very strong connections to Interfaith Dialogue Association. Yes, they do. Right. right. Mm-hmm. They've been active for many years. Right. <clears throat> Deet, I would like to turn our attention to you for another few minutes and to talk about your experiences. If you missed last week's uh, uh, program, Deet was talking about how she and her friends, her fiancé, her family, helped to hide Jews during the occupation, the Nazi occupation, in the Netherlands at great risk to themselves. your fiancé was... Uh, did he just die in a concentration camp? I don't get, know exactly, because he was in Dachau. He was first brought to Amersfoort. It was, it was a big concentration camp. And then by train, he was brought to a horrible camp on the border of Denmark, Neuengamme. Maybe you've heard that name. That Very few people survived that camp, and they had no winter clothes, and it was December and January, and they had to stand till their knees in the water and dig and no food. And I heard that the the German pastor there now takes care of all those graves of those people. He feels so heavy about that. But from there, Hein, because he had that paper that he was a pastor, and he wasn't a pastor, but they had a special barrack in Dachau for all pastors, and then he was brought there. And I don't know what happened. He uh, was taken out of the barrack on a Sunday night, but all his friends, some who came back, told me that he was so weak and he was at the end of really of his um, after knowing Gamma. He had survived that. This is a miracle. Because there was a village in the Netherlands. There's a village in Poland too. But near that village there was a big highway right past and a big uh, router was shot there and he was killed. He was very seriously wounded. Or was it another highway? Router was killed later somewhere else. But whoever passed by then they arrested those people. They had nothing to do with it, but they surrounded this whole village, took all the men and sent them to Neuengamme. And Hein was on this transport. And from the hundreds of men, I think only six came back. So it was a miracle that he survived that camp. But then he went to Dachau, and he was taken out of the barrack, and nobody had seen him anymore. Now, you were in a prison and then moved to a concentration camp. My prison was on the coast of the Netherlands, and then when the invasion came, they were so afraid that there would be a second invasion. At night, you could hear the waves break on the beach, and that was such a consoling noise, you know, to hear that peaceful. And then they loaded us in trains, and we didn't know where we were going. But in my case, the most scary is one of the persons that we helped, another group, and that lady was a wonderful golden heart, but she kept a diary, which was an absolute no-no. And she didn't know my name. I'd given her a false name, Toast. And she was arrested. She did not realize she was kind of... She didn't use her gray matter. Mm-hmm. 
I don't want to say she was stupid, but she couldn't refuse. She had 27 Jews in a tiny apartment. And I had taken so many out. I bought them every month, ration cards, and she kept the diary. And she was arrested, and the Gestapo found the diary. So the death penalty was on me because they found out who I was via somebody else. And then they came to my parents' house, and I wasn't home. But then Hein and I, and Hein had to go. He was in the diary, too. So then we both lived on false names. We hardly saw each other. And for two years, like King David, had to flee before Saul. I know the Old Testament very well. I had to flee. And those psalms, they were the psalm of David 27. The Lord will hide me in his tent and put me on a rock. And that was such a consolation to me. But I lived like David. I had to every night be off the street when curfew. But I found places where I could sleep. And then after a year, Hein was arrested on his false name that he was a pastor. But he always kept my last letter. We didn't see each other. So he got the last letter on my false name. So then he smuggled a note out and he said, did change your name again because now they are searching for you on that name. So they were searching for me twice and they were all the time in my parents' house to arrest me. And then I'm arrested in the train that I had loads of this stuff on me. And by a miracle of God, I could get rid of that envelope. Six guys were watching me. It's, it's such, it is a miracle I'm sitting here. God has done nothing but miracles. Like that little leopard, that's a miracle. And so I think I was, my life was spared that I can now tell and that he gives me this help. But anyway, then they had me and they were at my parents' house all the time searching for me. And can you imagine that they look for you under two names and they have you under your third name? And you know they are looking, and in the Bible there is the prophet Elijah, and he always prayed, God blind their eyes, they were after him, the, the, that other army. And I was saying, Lord, you did it a couple of thousand years before for Elijah, do it now for me. <laughs> and he did, because they never found out, and they thought that I was very stupid. And with my hearing, too, that I'm fluent in German, and I pretended that I didn't know a thing they said, but they were discussing my case right in front of me. So I, it was a Terrible, terrible, scary time. Why did they let you out of the concentration camp? They, the Queen said at the end of the war, uh, to the end of '44, she warned. She spoke to us all the time over the forbidden radio, and she said, "Let no Dutch person ever take any more a truck, a train, because the Allies will control all the highways." Let all the train personnel plus their families go in hiding. Can you imagine the whole transportation in the Netherlands is either by bike or by train? Because what they did towards the end of the war, if they wanted a guy from this, that they knew he had done something and he wasn't home, that he went in hiding like I did, then they took his wife and children. Now then any man goes back. So the queen said, so all the Dutch people were in hiding and Every train that moved was shot by three Spitfires. And so they had no trains anymore. And they did. And we heard General Patton come closer every day, and we were so happy. And they got meaner and meaner, and they started executing the men that time at sunset. We heard all the machine guns go, and they were executed. And that was another hell, because I didn't know that Hein had been brought to Germany. And I thought, oh, God, if they brought, have brought them here, and seven or eight of my friends... And on my false papers, that is the worst of all, and I, I can hardly talk about it, but because my false paper said that I was a maid, and I had to do the laundry for the Germans, knuckle stuff, there were no washing machines, 
And then I got all those bloodied clothes and I was just every day looking if I saw maybe names of my friends and I nearly cracked up in that time. That was the worst of all. And then I I started hating so much. I, I didn't know that you could hate with every molecule in your body. And I was furious with God. I said, you're sitting there in heaven and you don't do a thing and your people are being killed and my friends are being killed. And there was one Catholic girl with who I trusted. And then I was called out for my hearing and that was life or death. Would they believe my crazy story? And when I was taken out, and we looked terrible. We had big lumps with green pus coming out of our face. We had in five months not had shampoo. And this Catholic girl saw that I had to go to my hearing and she knew it was life or death. And she passed me and she, because if we had diarrhea, we all had, we could run to the bathroom and she whispered to me, I'm going to storm the gates of heaven for you. And I don't know, but I always bless her. She's dead now, Freddie. She couldn't take the whole thing. And she died, but uh, when I had to go with this officer to my hearing, it was like God gave me all his promises, and I know the Old Testament, I know the Torah, and I know the New Testament, and one is, not a hair of your head will be harmed without the will of your Heavenly Father. And another thing is in the Bible, and I never had to use that, but it, I know it was there, do not fear when you have to appear before kings and authorities, I will give you the word. And I said, God, I have broken loads of promises, but you are God. You can't break your promise. I hold you to your word. And they believe my crazy story. And here I'm sitting. And you were went back underground when you were I, released. When I got out, they let me out because with the widows of the shot guys, they had their, those widows, they let out, and they let me out. They thought I'm too stupid. And because they didn't have enough place in the trains. And then the, the Dutch government asked me, while I was walking the Netherlands, there were no bikes anymore. I walked from The Hague to Amsterdam with my rucksack on, distributing the cards, but I saw everything that was happening. So the Ju Dutch government asked me to report. I went in spying troop movements, and they gave me all this and big maps and that I had to coordinate in the Greece, and I didn't know what to look for, so I got all things of tanks and what to look out for. So after the war, I was after I got out, I was more fanatic here than tanks, and so I would I know what kind of tanks that was, but they gave me all that stuff, and then, so then I got even more uh, fanatic. And there's one thing that I got after the war, and that makes me so. I just had to make a copy yesterday from somebody, and this makes me so proud. I don't think you've seen that because it hangs on my wallet house. My son always says that. This is a um, this is a copy of <coughs> uh, an accommodation from uh, Dwight Eisenhower. It says, the President of the United States of America has directed me to express to Berendina R.H. Amon the gratitude and appreciation of the American people for gallant service in assisting the escape of Allied soldiers from the enemy. And it's signed by uh, Dwight Eisenhower, General of the Army. Isn't that great? Yeah, that is. I'm so proud of that. I got the same from the British. Did you... Um, did you travel in the same circles as the people who hid the Frank family? Do you have any connection no, to the Frank family? No. See, 
I get now after the book so many calls and letters. Have you met my father? He was in the underground and he was killed. Maybe I did, but we never gave our real name. Not to friends and not to, except Hein and my small group. But anybody you met, you just said, you give just a name and for that person you were dead. Because if they were arrested and they were tortured, and one of their tortures was to pull your nails one by one and then your toes... And I think if that had happened to me, I couldn't have kept strong. I don't think that there were people who have, but I don't think I could. So you never wanted, I didn't even want to know. I'm so sorry after the war. There are so many questions that I thought, because Hein was one of our leaders, that I would have wanted to ask him here and there. And we don't know, because so many were killed. But we didn't want to know anything except what you had to know for your work. You have a, a book, and that book has been turned into a play, Things We Couldn't Say. I didn't want to write it. For years, they have been persecuting me. And then a professor from a college where I spoke, he said, I want to write your book. And it was translated. It's now, I don't know, in the third or the fourth printing, I think. And where was this play produced? That is the same guy who wrote it, is James Scapp. He's a professor of literature at Dart College in Iowa, in Sioux Center. And he wrote first the book, and then based on the book, he made a docudrama of six people. And it's old Diet who is just thinking back, and then one couple, young Diet and young Hein, and then three Gestapo guys, so it's six. And that has been done by all over the country and in Toronto, and in Vancouver. And well, gosh, we have a Jewish theater here in Grand Rapids. Six people do it. I have the yes, play have. at home. We'll have to talk to Don Herman, who was a guest on uh, this show about a month or two ago. Uh, that so- certainly sounds like it's made to order, coming from uh, someone it's who's local. We'll have, to, we'll have to think about that. Don might be interested. Oh. And Deet will also have copies of her book um, yeah, when you she speaks at the YWCA. Huh? She will have copies there that evening that she will autograph for anyone if they would like them. Oh. It's a fascinating yeah. book. I have wonderful. to go to Edmonds and get some. How many do you think I should bring? I have no idea. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit now, Deet, of uh, your activities you go to South America, Central America, on uh, it sounds like uh, a regular basis. Yeah, this year I've been after the mort in Littleton. I am asked by schools all over, and as a matter of fact, when you mentioned uh, the, the Yad Vashem, that I was the man who is in from Jerusalem, but who represents uh, Yad Vashem in uh, New York, when he gave us that. Um, that reward or that award, he said, would you be willing to speak for our group? So I said, sure. So now in December, he called me, he said, "Uh, can you come? I said, sure. I mean, if my calendar is open, I go. That's what I'm here for. And I said, do you want me to come to New? No, he said, I want you to go to Atlanta. So I'm all the time, I was in Atlanta. But now at the moment, I haven't been so often with the doctors because I have so many things coming up here. And it's especially after the mort in the murder, murder in Littleton. I think that the school, those kids have all Nazi stuff in their rooms. You know, all those kids that is, it is such an evil power. And like you mentioned, that people still believe it didn't happen. I can't believe it. There's a there's a tremendous 
resurgence of that of neo-nazism especially among the youth as you said it's fueled by by older people uh, a lot of the lot the militia is dangerous the, the, mili the militia yes. group mm -hmm. yes. and they are together with the Ku Klux Klan and they are dangerous and there are a few states and that are the worst and I hate to say Michigan is one of them and Idaho and Oregon mm -hmm. they are when you were growing up as a young girl, how were you taught by your parents, by your by your family in general, to view Jews? Were they just somebody of a different religion, or uh, was there any anti-Semitism that you remember? No, not not in my family, because uh, no, Herman was our friend, and so I mean. Uh, they have a different, of course, they don't believe what we call the New Testament. And that I, to be honest, I, I always felt sad for that. And I, I think all the promises in the Bible were made for them, and they don't accept it. So I, I feel I have a deep love for them, and I really feel heavily burdened because I think, you know, all the things that God promised were proven. And, were, and then I asked Jewish people, to what tribe do you be? long and they don't have the tribes anymore because nobody and in the scripture it is said that the messiah would come from the tribe of judah and i think to me that alone is already nearly proof that he must have been come but i feel i love them dearly and i think i feel sad because all the promises that we are let's say second hand we see it that this is the tree and that was god's promises to the people of Israel, his chosen people. And we are only implanted. So that is how I see it and how I was brought up. Karen, let's uh, talk a little bit about mm -hmm. the, uh, not only this activity, and let's let's recap. Uh, when is Deet going to be speaking and where? Let's give all those details okay, she'll before be we run out of time. She'll be speaking March 15th at 7 p.m. at the YWCA. Um, there's free parking uh, right next to the building, and the event is free, open to the public. We encourage men, women, and I think she has a message for children as well. Um, as I mentioned, Deet will be signing her book that evening, and there will be f refreshments served afterwards. So we would welcome anyone that can attend to please be there on March 15th at the YWCA. Are there any other activities that... Now that you have a microphone in front of you, you, you might want to talk about Well, Dee just reminded me of something a few minutes ago. She said that during the war, Hadassah was very active. Um, and <clears throat> it just brought to mind one of our programs. Um, we participate. We are not the only supporters, but we participate in Youth Aliyah. And our, our founder, Henrietta Zold, and um, the wife of a rabbi, her name was Rika Fryer, took a group of children from Germany, from Nazi Germany, and at the time um, brought them to Palestine. What today is Israel was then Palestine. Brought them to Palestine and um, essentially saved them from the Holocaust. This was the beginning of the Youth Aliyah program. Mm -hmm. And Hadassah is still very involved today. We have, we help approximately right now 13,000 children in Israel in our Youth Aliyah program. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, some of the most recent children to come in have come from places like Bosnia. Um, there's, there was a huge influx from the Soviet Union, from Ethiopia. 
So, you know, we are continuing to that program that we started at that time. And we're very proud of it. Well, well, Karen Melman and Deet Emin, I want to thank you so much for being here. This has been a very special edition of Common Threads. And thank you for joining us here on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.